Awesome. I am glad to be here this morning. Uh, my name is Jason. Welcome. Welcome to Two Rivers Church. We are in a uh, kind of year-long series through the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, we're going to pick up today where we left off uh, last week. I want to say this to you on the front end. We are on the deep end of the pool today. Uh, a few really significant stories in Matthew 15 and 16. Uh, really, really important chapters in the discipleship journey that Jesus was taking his 12 disciples on. Uh, so these two chapters, really, really significant in their discipleship training. Uh, I'm going to pick up today where Lucas left off last week, uh, and we'll cover most of 16 today. Let me just say this. You're going to need to buckle in uh, and get ready to dig today. So I hope your Bibles are out and open. And if you don't have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to pull the Scripture on your phone. Uh, we're going to be in the Scripture a lot. I'm going to cover a large swath of Scripture. You like, that? you like that word, swath? A large swath of Scripture and Bible reading uh, during our time together today. Uh, disciples needed to understand more and more and more the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. And they needed equipping to be able to proclaim that truth after Jesus departed from them, uh, what he will begin talking with them about in chapter 16. There was much for them to learn, a lot, of, a lot that they needed to experience. Uh, they needed their minds changed. They needed to learn and experience so that they would have an unshakable confidence in the truth that Jesus is the Lord. And that in Jesus there is life. And I would say to you today, we also need that. Amen? We need to learn and grow and experience and dig and to, to grow as disciples of Christ. And so I, I hope that today will be encouraging to you, equipping to you as we dig in the word this morning. Um, Again, I'm going to start where uh, Lucas uh, left off last week. Uh, my friend Lucas Smith uh, preached from, in my absence last week. I was in Vegas, baby. Uh, that is an interesting city. Um, I have never been to Vegas. I was there, just so you know, full confession. I was there for a 12-year-old soccer tournament. Uh, and we kind of cruised around on the strip uh, on Sunday afternoon for a couple of hours. And I was like, let's go back to the hotel. Um, don't need to go back to Vegas. But hey, it's an interesting place. Uh, so that's where I was last week. I'm glad to be back. I'm grateful for Lucas uh, teaching the word in my stead. I've heard lots of reports that my young brother did a fantastic job. Would you agree if you are here last week? Uh, gifted, gifted, anointed um, teacher. Grateful. Um, where he left off, uh, the disciples and Jesus were on the western shore. Can we pull that map? I'm going to leave this map up during the whole sermon today. Uh, Context-wise, Matthew 15, where Lucas left off. Jesus was having a face-off with the Pharisees. If you don't know who the Pharisees were, they were the religious rulers, leaders of the day. Uh, in chapter 15, Jesus was confronting them at the beginning of the chapter and said, you have neglected the word of God for the sake of your own traditions. And for the first time in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus had spoken generally about hypocrisy in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5 through 7. But he looks directly at the Pharisees at the beginning of chapter 15. And he says, you hypocrites. And if you were here last week, you remember the disciples got all out of whack about that. 
and they pull Jesus on. They're like, Jesus, we think you offended them. You offended the Pharisees. I don't know if you know this, but you offended them. And I think he was okay with it because he said, let's leave. We're leaving. We're getting out of here because I don't want any of their legalistic teaching and hypocrisy uh, to get in the way of the important lessons that he needed to teach them. And so uh, he told them that they were going to leave and they withdrew north. So they were on a lot of Jesus' ministry on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. You see the Galilee, the region, Capernaum. Uh, on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, and they headed north. They went northwest to these two towns, Tyre and Sidon. What you need to know about Tyre and Sidon is that they were Gentile territory. They were out of Israel. Uh, that's where he took them. So they were moving away from Israel, and it was here that some pretty next-level teaching happened. Master teacher Next level teaching happening, next level experience, mind blown kind of stuff happened in these two towns and in the area around Tyre and Sidon uh, in the presence of a Gentile Canaanite woman. Gentile, non-Jew, okay? Canaanite. Let's have some Bible trivia for a second. Canaanite. Canaan is the grandson of a really famous Bible character in Genesis. Who is Canaan the grandson of? Anyone know? Noah. It went Noah, three sons. One of the sons' name was Ham. Interesting name for a son. If you say Ham three times slow, you'll chuckle. Just, that's neither here nor there. I'm just saying to you, Ham. Hey, it sounds like hey, um. Anyway, Ham. Canaan, okay? See, you're, I see you chuckling in the back. Um, Canaan, okay? Now, context. When Moses, God used Moses to rescue the ancient Hebrews out of uh, slavery in Egypt, Red Sea, 40 years in the wilderness, okay? They come, they come to the Jordan River. Moses passes the baton of leadership to, Bible trivia, Joshua. And Joshua fights the battle of, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Okay, anyway, I'm having fun up here. Okay. And he leads the Hebrew people into the land of Cana, where the Canaanites, all the descendants of Canaan, the grandson of Noah, and those descendants were under a curse because of the sin of Canaan and Ham against their father, Noah. And they were enemies to the people of God. And so you read the stories and God empowered the Israelites to take the land of the Canaanites. And now the Canaanites had moved up. Y'all with me context-wise? To Tyre and Sidon. And that's where Jesus was leading the disciples and I'm just telling you, way out of their comfort zone. Jesus is not afraid to move us out of our comfort zones to teach us really important lessons about what it means to know him, love him, follow him. If you are uncomfortable with Jesus putting you in uncomfortable situations, 
you are going to be uncomfortable as a disciple of Jesus. He loves you so much to grow you, mature you, blow your mind, to transform your mind in the way of the kingdom of God. He will move you out of your comfort zone so that you can grow. And this is what this text is about, and it's really, really important. And so I'm going to read it. Um, I was kind of chuckling with Lucas because I gave him chapter 15. We're kind of like doing chapter by chapter. And I'm like, bro, you, like, you left me the story of the Canaanite woman. He's like, you only gave me 30 minutes, Swain. I didn't have time to get there. And I was like, all right, I'll take it. So we're going to do a little bit of a combo. We're going to do kind of the end of 15 and the beginning of 16 today in our story Uh, Jesus had just left the confrontation with the Pharisees. He takes them to the land of Tyre and Sidon, Gentile territory. And here's where we pick up the story, starting in verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman, Gentile Canaanite woman. From the vicinity, from that vicinity, from the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, came to Jesus crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. We we know that this woman, because she was Canaanite Gentile, didn't grow up learning about all the prophecies of the Messiah because she wasn't Jewish. But she knew enough to call Jesus by his messianic name, son of David. And also, she asked for what? Have mercy. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus told his disciples and people listening, you need to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then in chapter 12, we see a scene and Jesus is like, you didn't go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. If you, if you want to know the very heart of God, it is the mercy and the compassion of God. And this woman knew enough about Jesus to call him son of David and she asked him for mercy. And they're walking along the road and she's on the side and she's crying out for help and she's asking for mercy. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. If you are a parent in the room, You understand and know when your children are suffering and in need of help, you will do anything. You will do anything. She is screaming on the side of the road. And the disciples who were way out of their comfort zone, remember how out of their comfort zone they are? And they have have racism and prejudice toward Gentiles. And they have prejudice against women because they grew up in that prejudice. And they're away from their comfort zone. They're entire in Sidon. And this Canaanite, the enemies of the Hebrew people, Canaanite, you guys, Gentile woman is screaming on the side of the road and they're not about it. They are not about it. Have mercy on me, she says. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Jesus, she is annoying. She is, this is over the top. 
can we please get her to stop? Can you do something? They're over it. They're annoyed. They're tense. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. So at first, let's just, let's imagine that Jesus and his disciples are walking on this pathway. And this woman is over here in the corner. And she's disrupting the scene. It's loud. She's in the way. She's screaming. She doesn't care. Her her daughter is suffering. She's just doing everything she can to get the attention of Jesus, who she thinks may be able to help her. And for whatever reason, Jesus continues to walk. And he makes a statement, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And then this woman gets up, runs up ahead, and plants herself right in front of them. Do you see that in the text? What does it say? She came and knelt before him, and she says, Lord, help me. The courage and the persistent faith for mercy is palpable in the scene. And Jesus replied, and he uses this parable that I think at first read makes us feel a little like, I don't know what to do with this. But when we unpack it and we see it, clearly I think you're going to see today, this is a beautiful Beautiful scene of the compassion of God. Jesus replied, he replied to the woman with this parable. And it's a parable about children and bread and puppies. Just so you know. It's a parable about children in a home with a puppy. Now when I say that out loud, does that make you feel like, oh my gosh, that sounds terrible and mean and awful. Or does that make you sound like, I mean, how many of you, if you saw a, like a golden retriever puppy dog at the park, would just be immediately drawn to the puppy? You would, unless you're just like a bad person. <laughs> and like for me as a dad, like we have a, a puppy. She's not a puppy anymore. We have a puppy. Her name is Winnie. And I'm like, don't feed Winnie from the table, Brennan. And Brennan has this huge, compassionate, empathetic heart. And when I'm not looking, I know she does this. When I'm not looking, (laughs) because why? Because she loves her puppy. Now, this shouldn't be too hard for some of you to like see this as an endearing picture that Jesus is giving here because some of you love your dogs more than you love people, if you're really honest. So it's just, it's, it's an, by the way, when we read dog in this text, the Greek translation that in the English, is it, it, it's, little, it's little dog, it's puppy. And it's in a home. There's a table. There's children there. It's at a table. So it's just this beautiful, warm scene of Jesus teaching. Verse 26, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. That like in English, at first glance, that feels a little hard to understand. Yes, Lord. Hear what the woman says. Yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. 
your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Um, way out of their comfort zone, disciples. Canaanite, Gentile woman, they're annoyed. Their prejudice is on display. Her need was real. All the faith she could muster was visible, seen. And Jesus kept on walking. It's interesting, isn't it? It's like you get this, you read this passage, and you go, things that, things that make you go, hmm. Millie Vanilli, anyone? Millie Vanilli, 90s, anyone? Anyone in the room? If you're a college student in the room and you don't know who Millie Vanilli is, Google them later. I mean, they were, they were, they were hot. I mean, they were happening. But there was this whole scandal, like they weren't real. They didn't sing their own songs. They just voiced it. But they had a song called Things That Make You Go, hmm. I digress. I digress. <laughs> why do you think, why do you think Jesus initially passed by her? Like if we're having coffee and we're sitting down and we read this passage together and I go, why do you think, why do you think Jesus passed her by? What would you say? It's, it's things that make you go, hmm. And what I want to invite you to consider as we consider that question is a story from John chapter 11. Jesus' dear, dear friends, Lazarus, Bible trivia, and his two sisters, and their names are Mary and Martha. And Lazarus was very sick. And they lived in a town called Bethany. Holy Spirit. They lived in a town called Bethany, which is, if you come down from Galilee to Judea, you see Jerusalem right there just to the west of the Dead Sea. You see Bethany right underneath it. It goes Jerusalem, Temple Mount, Kidron Valley, up to the Mount of Olives. On the backside of the Mount of Olives is Bethany. And then down the hill from there is the River Jordan and Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Okay, so that's where they were. If you remember the story, he was sick and Jesus lingered for how many days? Almost two days. They send Jesus word, our brother is sick, come right away. And Jesus lingered for two days. By the time Jesus got to Bethany at the home of Lazarus, Mary, Martha, what had happened to Lazarus? He had passed away. And Mary and Martha, Mary, Mary and Martha said what we, what we say when we're in the waiting and we're in the unknown and we're battling fear and grief. We say, if you had only been here, our brother would not have died. Where are you? Where were you? It's a powerful, powerful story. And in John chapter 11, verse 15, this is what he told the disciples about the lingering. He said, for your sake, I am glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. Believe what? Believe that I am the Lord and that I am sovereign over every single situation in this world. So that you may believe. And I think about Matthew 15. 
Because at first glance, we look at it and we go, I don't understand, Lord, because she's right there. She had this need. Why didn't you just turn to her right then? Why did you keep walking by? Why did she? And I just go, well, I don't know. But I wonder if it's some of the same reality of the master teacher of Jesus and the sovereignty of God to awaken a greater faith in him for the woman, but also for the 12 disciples. Jesus answers with the truth after she comes and gets in front of him that his present ministry is confined to the Jews. He says, I was sent first to the lost sheep of Israel and he is outside of Israel. And he wasn't going to give the impression that he was abandoning, that he is the savior to his own people. And his analogy about children and bread and dogs, dogs again, can seem harsh, but when we look at it closely like we did, I think we see the gentleness and the compassion that is on display. The picture is in a home, in a puppy, and it's a, a good scene and a beautiful scene. And he's basically just saying this in the parable. It is not fitting just yet to deprive the Jews of help and give it all to the Gentiles. And the Canaanite woman, her faith is so persistent, it's so real because her need is so great. And she also humbly, hear this, she humbly accepts her place in the divine order of that time. And she says, yes, but even the compassion of the master will not refuse my need. I will receive even the crumbs that fall on the floor. And Jesus responds because Jesus' discipleship lesson, they needed to see, hear, learn, grow. Jesus always responds to faith in him with compassion and mercy. Amen? Always. Even to a Canaanite. Even to a Gentile. Even to a woman. The, the disciples' minds were blown. I'm telling you right now. This is not in the text. This is Jason Swain talking. Their minds were blown. They were awakened to a compassion of God at a whole nother level. And they had to understand it and grow in it. And what is Jesus? They heard Jesus give this woman highest praise. What, is it, what does Jesus say to her in verse 28? Look there again. You have, what does he say? You have what? You have, tell me, great faith. What did he tell Peter? Look back in your Bible, uh, chapter 14. Jesus walks on the water. He invites Peter out of the boat. Peter starts looking at Jesus. He literally rises above the circumstances and he's like the supernatural breakthrough. He's walking on water. He starts watching the wind. He starts sinking. They get back into the boat and Jesus tells Peter, you of little faith. What does he tell the woman? You have great faith. His lingering awakened the woman's persistent faith more and it made it all the more powerful when Jesus blows up the Gentile divide and ministers to this woman with mercy, love, and healing. What a story. 
about the mercy, compassion, healing power of God. Grace upon grace upon grace, the radical inclusivity of Jesus. Yes, for the Jews, but for the nations. He is the savior of the world. And then we get in the next story. More discipleship training for the disciples. All these people from Tyre and Sidon who were Gentiles were coming and Jesus was ministering to them and healing them. And it was this, it's such a similar story of what happened uh, outside of Capernaum when Jesus fed the 5,000, but not really 5,000, more like 20,000 because it was 5,000 men, women, and children. Here it's 4,000, more like 15 to 20,000 men, women, and children. Same story. But the big difference in the feeding of the 4,000 at the end of Matthew 15 is that it was Gentiles. Feeding of the 5,000 was to the Jewish people. Feeding of the 4,000 was to Gentiles. Where were they? They were in Tyre and Sidon. Disciples, oh my gosh, what is happening? And Jesus says in Matthew 15, 32, I have compassion for these people as well. To which all of the Gentiles in the room say, hallelujah, hallelujah. The gospel is also for me. Yes, Jesus came to the lost sheep of Israel and also he is the savior to the nations. Side note, think about Peter for a second. Walking on the water, he's falling down, all that scene, you have little faith, he's in Tyre and Sidon, he's watching Jesus, he's seeing Jesus, minister to this Gentile Canaanite woman, feeding of the 4,000, the whole thing. He's watching Jesus minister, okay? Discipleship training. Watch what I do, learn what I do, and then you get the baton of ministry to do what I do. What did Jesus tell the disciples in the Last Supper in John 14? He said, you are going to do greater things than even I have done. Write this down, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Read this later. It's the story of Cornelius, who was Gentile. And it's the whole scene of the Holy Spirit came to Peter and he gave him that crazy vision of the sheet and the food. Do you guys know the story? If you don't know the story, go read the story. It was Peter's turn to do what he saw Jesus do in Matthew 15. Do you think that Peter was thinking about this time in his life when it was his turn? And I don't know if he was, again, this is not, but I just know he was. And it equipped him because he was discipled and he learned and he grew and then he put it into action in Acts chapter 10. Jesus, he's moving him back to Israel. He comes down to the, probably the north side of the Sea of Galilee. The next door as we get into 16, heads back over to the Western Jewish shore. And they had hardly arrived and a band of Pharisees and now Sadducees were gonna meet them. So they have this really incredible, wild, mind-blowing discipleship journey up in Tyre and Sidon. And then he brings them back down. They get on the north side of the lake probably and they're gonna dip back down and over to the Western shore. Uh, before they left to go to Tyre and Sidon, they had that huge face-off with the Pharisees. And that's when Jesus said, you are hypocrites. Leave them, they're blind guides. And now this sect called Sadducees were joining the Pharisees, which if you don't know the context was really wild 
because they were religious enemies. They did not get along in Israel in the first century. They had different policies, different theology, like the Sadducees didn't believe in the supernatural at all. But in their like-minded hatred toward Jesus, they had come together. It's like two denominations that can't get along, and all of a sudden they're like bickering, all of a sudden they're all united on something. You're like, what? It's like the Catholics and the Protestants came together on something? What? It's like that, that's, that's, that was a crazy context there that's happening. That when we get into 16, we see the Sadducees and the Pharisees together. You see, Sadducees, you, know, you guys know this. You guys know this. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. Very bad joke. Very bad joke. But you'll never forget it. They don't believe in the supernatural resurrection, so you'll never forget it. So that's a free gift. I'm not going to charge you for that. Uh, let's read, beginning of 16. First four verses. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. And Jesus replied, when evening comes, you say, oh, it'll be fair weather for the sky is red in the morning. Today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. In other words, you're you're like predicting the weather. You're predicting like the natural circumstances, like you're seeing that. But you are, you are not understanding the bigger, larger, more important supernatural realities of the day. And then he says, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign. But none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And then Jesus left them and went away. Um, these Pharisees, Sadducees most likely as well, were around the ministry of Jesus when he was performing all those miracles in the town of Capernaum. Many of them most likely at least were there or heard of it, surely, of the feeding of the 5,000 from five loaves and two fish. They had seen the miraculous they were testing Jesus. So their hypocrisy is on display. They could predict the weather, but they were blind to the spiritual realities, asking for a sign. And for the second time in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uses the prophet Jonah to rebuke them. Jonah, who was in the belly of a well for how many days? Three days. The sign of Jonah, when Jesus uses the sign of Jonah... It's a metaphor for his future crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. If you know the story of Jonah, after Jonah, because Jonah hated the Ninevites, who were Gentile, by the way. And after that whole story, Jonah repented. And what did he do? He proclaimed the goodness of God to who? And what did the Ninevites do? They repented. The sign of Jonah is the sign that Jesus is going to give the Pharisees. He's not going to play their games. And so he said, that's the sign that you're getting. And he left them there. 
And they went across the lake. So again, follow, follow the chronology up in Tyre and Sidon. They come down. They get in a boat. They go over, back over to the western shore. They have a face-off, not with the Pharisees now, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he says, let's get in the boat. Let's get out of here again. And so he takes them over to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, which is a Gentile side. So they're back in the land of Gentiles in the context of how we're understanding the story. And when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Oh, no. And then Jesus says, they're talking about bread. Oh, my gosh, the bread, the bread, the bread. By the way, when they're in Gentile territory, no Orthodox Jew is going to touch bread that was made by a Gentile. So they're like hungry. And they got this natural kind of bothersome circumstance going on. And that's what they're talking about, like literal bread. And Jesus begins to talk about something deeper, more important. And he says, be careful, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Their yeast being their hypocrisy, their legalism, that they neglect the word of God for their own traditions. And they discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring, is it because we didn't bring any bread? Like he tells them this and they're like, uh, are you saying that because we didn't bring bread? And they had no idea what was going on. Sometimes we read these stories and I go, man, the disciples are a lot like us. So they're just, they're, they were young too. They're just like, they're in process. They're learning, growing, they're people. And they weren't clued in. And aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? In other words, like, did you already forget what I did with five loaves and two fish? I mean, we literally were just up in Tyre and Sidon, and we, I did it again. And now we're on this side of the lake, and you don't think you're going to get any bread? Like there were bucket loads of leftovers both times, boys. Like, chillax, I got this, I got you. Don't worry. And we chuckle about it a little bit, right? But the reality is, man, they're just like me. When I'm in a situation in my life, when I'm concerned, right? There's an unknown, there's, I'm afraid, I'm nervous. And there's this like, history of God's faithfulness to me that I can stand on and find strength in. And I forget and I get nervous and afraid. And I'm just like, I'm not just like the disciples. And I just think, man, the story is like, Jason, like, I'll do it again. I'm the Lord of the universe. I hold the whole world in my hands. I can make bread fall out of the sky. I can make water come out of a rock. I can provide for your needs. He looks at them because they weren't operating in faith. Do you not understand? Do you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How many basketfuls were gathered, by the way? 12. One for each of them. 
And he's just bringing it back to their memory. Stop worrying about that. Or the seven loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered. How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Oh, bam. Okay, okay, okay. That's what's going on. What was on the, what was on the forefront of the minds of the disciples, the here and now, the natural their hunger. And they forgot bread and no Jew was going to get bread and we're in a situation. What was on the forefront of Jesus' mind? Freedom. Freedom. Freedom in Christ. Why? He wants them to be free from the teaching, the yeast of the Pharisees whose hearts are far from God, who take their rules and their traditions and they neglect the very word of God for the sake of their own traditions. He wants them to be free from the hypocrisy of religiosity and fear tactics and shame tactics to get you to behave and do the right thing. He wants you to understand that your identity is in Christ alone and that when he looks at you he says you are the beloved of God and you are righteous because of me he wants him to be free from legalism and he corrects their constant worry about material necessities instead of trusting him to provide this is a very 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 discipleship lesson for them would you agree because they were the ones that were going to have to take this message to the world. And it could not be combined in any way with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It had to be severed because the new covenant of the grace of God and the compassion and the mercy of God wasn't just for the Jews. Yes, it was for the Jews, but it was for everyone. And they had to be ready to take it to everyone. And so do we. And so do we. Freedom from legalism, from rules, traditions that nullify the word of God. Freedom from shame, fear tactics that try to get people to control. And their minds were blown. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. To transform our minds. Because when our minds are transformed, our lives follow. When we believe rightly, we walk in the way of Jesus. Why did Jesus linger in John 11? Why do I believe that Jesus lingered a little bit in Matthew 15 with the Canaanite woman? So that we might believe, have our minds blown so that we will go in the way of Jesus and the way of Jesus is freedom in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord,
Lord, we want to learn. We want to grow. We need our, we need our minds blown today. Lord, we don't want to be blinded by traditions and expectations and religion when you are leading the way toward mercy and grace and compassion that is radical. So we need to receive it for ourselves to have our minds blown that it's for us, it's for me, it's for us. And so that we are equipped to be your witnesses with your mercy and your love and your compassion to people, all people, all people. Awaken us, awaken us, Jesus, to who you are and what you are teaching us by the authority of your word today. I pray in your name, amen.